Let's again pray. Oh Lord God, as we come now to open Your Word, as we see the kingdom of Israel under the reign of Solomon, may we see as a type of the reign of Christ. Lord, we ask this day that as the Word of Christ goes forth, You would help us to understand by Your Holy Spirit. May Your Word go forth with power. May it be used this day and not returned back to You void. O Lord, bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word for the sake of Christ. We pray this in His name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so and take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 4. First Kings chapter 4 will begin at verse 22 and read to the end of the chapter, verse 34. Hear now the Word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God is speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal. Ten fat oxen and twenty pasture-fed cattle. A hundred sheep besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fattened fowl. For he had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsah to Gaza. Over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. All the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots. And 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon And for all who came to King Solomon's table, each one in his month, they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all the other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, And his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth, 
who had heard of his wisdom. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the first 21 verses of 1 Kings 4, and we saw two things. We saw Solomon organizing his kingdom, and he did so by the great wisdom God gave him. We heard a bunch of names that we're not familiar with, yet names of, of men who served Solomon faithfully in his kingdom. In verses 20 and 21 of this chapter, we heard of the covenant kingdom. In verse 20, how Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. And that takes us back to Genesis and the promise that God made to Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the shore of the sea. And so God is keeping His Word as Solomon is reigning over Israel. And so this morning we see more of Solomon's kingdom and wisdom. And one thing that stands out is this. Solomon's kingdom is at peace. We have a kingdom this morning. We are part of the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ is manifest in the, the visible church. But right now, we do not have a peaceable kingdom. What we see in this world, nations at war, churches splitting, families falling apart. We long for peace, but at this point, we do not have peace. But we know that one day that peaceable kingdom will come. Do you remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 7? He prophesied concerning the Lord. He said this, Of the increase of His government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. A peaceable kingdom is one of the promises of God. It's a promise that He gives to His people. It's a promise that He gives to His church. A kingdom that will not come in its fullness until the second coming of the Lord Jesus. But this morning we get a glimpse of that. We get a glimpse of that peaceable kingdom and the rule of King Solomon. We find Solomon having a a peaceable and prosperous kingdom. As the Bible tells us this morning, Solomon had peace on all sides. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said the kingdom of Israel under the sway of Solomon was a fair type of the reign of our Lord Jesus. And so there are four things I want us to see here this morning in our text concerning Solomon's kingdom and then we will apply that to the kingdom of Christ. First, we hear of the king's bounty. And oh, what a bounty he has. You hear everything that he had. We begin in verses 22 and 23. We hear of the provisions for one day. One day for King Solomon. And all in his house. The provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores 
of meal. Every day the bakers in Solomon's kitchen used 180 bushels of the best flour and 360 bushels of meal to make bread and other pastries. But not only that, they also put meats on the table, dozens of, of cattle and oxen, a hundred sheep a day, animals from the field, all the, the deer, the gazelles and the robots and, and birds from the royal aviary. They would, they would take and they would butcher and they would slaughter and they would serve Solomon and his courts. And so Solomon had a feast every day. Every day he would sit at his royal table with all in his court. And, and estimates range from, from 14,000 to as many as 32,000 people a day that they were feeding. Now, now these numbers are, are made and designed to impress us. Why is that? Because a, a king, he feasts every day. Solomon would have a, a feast every day of all this food that was, that was fixed for him. And so his bounty was great, but it did not stop there because in verses 26 through 28, we also hear of his horses. He had 40,000 stalls of horses. Those 40,000 stalls of horses were for his chariots. He had 12,000 horsemen. And the, the officials supplied provisions for Solomon and all who came to his table, each one in his month. We heard of that last week. We got the name of those officials. And each one had a month where they would have to supply this for Solomon. And not only for Solomon, but for his horses. Notice in verse 27, they let nothing be lacking. Solomon did not lack food. He did not lack food for himself. Or, or those in his court and in his house. He did not like food for his horses. They would bring the barley and the straw. And they even brought swift steeds to the place where it was required. Each according to his duty. And so we find Solomon in his court enjoying what we might call the good things of life. They're living large. They're, there's nothing lacking and Solomon enjoyed what every self-respecting monarch must have, a table fit for a king. And by definition, what are royal tables meant for? They are meant for feasting. They are meant to come and to eat and drink and be filled. And so the, the bounty of Solomon is great. But second of all, we, we see and hear the king's Dominion, And that is also great. And we hear of that in verse 24. He had dominion over all the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsa to Gaza. Over all the kings west of the Euphrates. And he had peace on all sides around him. Now go back to verse 21 that we looked at last week as well. Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms of the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Do you understand what God is saying? The, the kingdom of Solomon was an empire. 
It, it wasn't a small kingdom to the north. It went all the way to the Euphrates River, almost to the border of what is today modern day Turkey. To the south, it ran down to Egypt. And under the reign and rule of Solomon, this was the largest kingdom that Israel ever possessed. Even today, they do not possess what they possessed in the days of Solomon. Solomon controlled a territory that was even greater than his father David. And so it can be said that Solomon's Empire reached the four corners of the earth. But the extent of, of Solomon's kingdom, the dominion of Solomon, that too is a direct fulfillment of Scripture. Again, we go back to Genesis, Genesis 15, 8. What did God say to Abraham? To you or to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And under the reign of Solomon, it is there. Solomon's kingdom was a direct fulfillment of that promise. But also Solomon's kingdom was a direct fulfillment of a biblical command. Do you remember the command back in Genesis? What did God say to Adam and Eve? What did He give them? He gave them dominion over every living thing. And the word that we find here in 1 Kings to describe Solomon's kingdom is the same word we find in Genesis. It is the word for dominion. And so King Solomon has fulfilled God's original intention for his people. For the people made in his image. To have dominion over creation. To have dominion over the creature. And we see Solomon fulfilling that. And so with the Lord's blessing and under the Lord's authority, we find Solomon taking dominion over a part of the world. But then there's a third thing we see concerning the king and the kingdom. And it is this, the king's subjects are at peace. What a wonderful thing. That there's peace in the kingdom. Verse 24. We read at the end. There was peace on all sides. And Judah and Israel lived in safety. From Dan even to Beersheba. Every man under his vine. And under his fig tree. All the days of Solomon. What peace does Solomon have? We never... Read about Solomon going out to war. He was at peace. We never read of Solomon riding off into battle or, or winning any famous victories as we heard of his father David. In, in Solomon's day, for almost the only time in history, Israel had peace in every direction. The Philistines were not affecting them. No, none of the other Enemies of God's people were coming and fighting. That there was peace in the kingdom. And that peace was both with, with foreign enemies and, and domestic. Solomon was not at war with the Egyptians. He was not at war with the Syrians. He was not at war 
with the Philistines or any of Israel's other neighbors. There was peace on every side and there was peace within Israel. They were not fighting with one another. And since they were not at war, do you notice what they were free to do? They were free to pursue their own prosperity. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. In other words, every Israelite had a place to call his own. He didn't have to worry about the Philistines coming to raid them and take it away. He didn't have to worry about an enemy of God coming and taking what he had. They had a, every man in Israel had a place in, in the shade with plenty of good things to eat and drink. What a time that must have been to be an, to be an Israelite. No wars, no battles. You can sit in peace in your home. But then there's a fourth thing that we see concerning the king, and that is the king's wisdom. In verses 29 through 34, we are reminded of that wisdom. The Bible declares this wisdom in several ways or in multiple ways. In verse 29, it begins by simply asserting that God gave Solomon wisdom. We already know that, don't we? A few weeks ago, we saw and heard God saying to Solomon, Ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And that pleased God. And because Solomon asked for wisdom, he then heaped upon Solomon riches and honor and glory. As verse 29 tells us, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. And we know the wisdom of Solomon was not infinite. Only God's wisdom is infinite. But Solomon was wise beyond anything that any other human being could measure. He was the wisest man on earth. The the king's wisdom is demonstrated by comparison with other wise men. Verses 30 and 31. Now we're familiar with two of these. Ethan and Heman. We're familiar with them because they wrote two Psalms, Psalm 88 and 89. And yet Solomon was wiser than them. He was wiser than the intellectual giants of of Egypt and Persia and, and Babylon. There wasn't anyone on the earth that could compare with the wisdom of Solomon. In verse 32, we see the king's wisdom demonstrated by things he wrote and said. He he gives us praise psalms in the Bible. Solomon wrote Psalm 72 and 127. Two psalms that we sing in the worship of God today. In verse 33, we, 32, we hear that he, he spoke 3,000 Proverbs and 1,005 songs. Now, we don't have all of those, but we do have the songs of Solomon. And we have the book of Proverbs. And so Solomon was a prolific writer. 
He, he was a maker of, of songs to be sung in the worship of God. He wrote wisdom down for generation after generation to come. And, and so that output, that literary output is impressive. In verse 33, we get the breadth of, of the king's knowledge. And that is equally impressive. We, we can say this, Solomon's knowledge was like an encyclopedia or a set of encyclopedias. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. He knew everything from the tallest tree in the forest to the smallest plant growing in the garden. He had a love for botany and biology. He was interested in everything God had made. But in the last verse of our text, we See, the king's wisdom is further demonstrated by the people who come to him. Now we'll hear of a queen coming to Solomon later, but we hear here for the first time people came to visit Solomon from all of the world. He became a tourist attraction. He'd be sitting in his palace and people would come from all over. Why? To get the wisdom of Solomon. To hear his wise counsel. Again, truly, he was the wisest man in the world. And we hear of this wise man. We hear of all that he had. We hear of his kingdom and the peace he had. But there is a greater one than Solomon. And that is Jesus. And so I want to take what we've learned here of Solomon's kingdom and wisdom and apply it to, to Christ and, and His kingdom. And the first thing is that Solomon's bounty was great, but the bounty of Jesus and His kingdom is greater. In Isaiah 25.6, uh, we know that the prophets of old promised that Christ would, would make for all peoples a feast of rich food a feast of well-aged wine. And we get a taste of that today after this service as we come together to feast with one another. The Bible tells us and, and promises us that salvation is being invited to the table of the King and accepting that invitation and feasting with the King. One day the king will come and we will have a feast. And what a glorious feast it will be. Jesus' kingdom is often compared to a great banquet. He said that people would come from east and west to recline at His table. Jesus tells us that everyone is invited. His royal table is open to anyone who will come. And the bounty of Christ's kingdom is also seen in what? The Lord's Supper. And when we come to the table, I don't think we think of that as a feast sometimes. We just get one little piece of bread and one little cup of wine. We need bigger portions. But it's a spiritual feast. 
And it is a spiritual feast that points us to that great feast that will happen at the last day. As one commentator said, the the Bible describes salvation in culinary terms because a royal feast is one of the blessings in life. And by His kingly grace, God has promised to give us the best of His blessings forever. Oh, Christian, when we come to feast with Jesus, there will be nothing lacking. Nothing to separate us from our King anymore. And the bounty will cause all the bounty of Solomon to look small and insignificant. Second, as great as the kingdom of Solomon was and is described for us this morning, it gives us a small glimpse of the greater kingdom of Jesus. God has issued a kingly decree that His royal Son, as we read in Psalm 72.8, will have dominion from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. What is that speaking of? The kingdom of Christ, the church. And we know Jesus is King and Lord over all. But where are His subjects? His subjects are found in the church of Jesus. We are the kingdom. And we need to understand that the kingdom was not designed to be passive. Again, listen to the words of of Charles Spurgeon. He says, the Christian church was designed from the first to be aggressive. It was not intended to remain stationary at any period, but to advance onward until its boundaries become commensurate with those of the world. Spurgeon had a very good outlook on things, did he not? He knew that the church was not to stand still. The church was to be moving. The church was to be advancing. The church was to take the gospel into this fallen world and push back the very gates of hell. And how do we do that? That is with us. Taking the gospel to unbelievers. Sharing the gospel. Telling them of their need Of Christ. What is one of the great weaknesses of the church? We are stationary. We like things the way they are. Now again, there are times where change needs to come. We don't change just to attract people. But that there are times where we need to understand we are to be aggressive. We are to go out there. We are to tell others. We are not to remain stationary. We are to have a, a military mindset And we are to go forward and we are to claim this world for Christ. The third thing we see, just as there was peace in Solomon's kingdom, one day that peace will be made perfect. One day all of our enemies will be defeated. Truly our enemies are already defeated. But on the last day, we will see it with our eyes. There will be no more death or dying. The devil and his demons will be banished for all eternity. And each of us will all have our own vine and fig tree that will never wither. We'll have peace. 
We will live forever in that peace with our King. And then finally, the wisdom of Solomon was great, but the wisdom of Christ is superior. Again, Solomon was the wisest man who lived upon the earth. There was no one who could compare to him. If you had a question, you would go to Solomon and he would answer it. But the wisdom of Christ is greater. The Bible tells us that Christ's wisdom is so superior to that of Solomon that even his apparent foolishness turns out to be wiser than the wisdom of men. Where do we see that? We see that at the cross. We see that in what some people think is only foolishness, the cross where, where Jesus died. It actually turns out to be God's wise plan for salvation. The disciples in Jesus' day, they had such a hard time grasping that. What do you mean you had to go to Jerusalem and die? We thought you were the Messiah. We thought you would come and overthrow the Roman government and, and free us from our bondage. They just didn't realize that they had a greater bondage to be free from, and that was their bondage to sin. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what Jesus did in full. He came and He freed His people. You know, the world, they look at the cross as, as foolishness. They look at it as a man, a mere man, merely dying and, and achieving nothing. But Christ achieved salvation for all who will come. You see, the invitation is out. The King invites all of us to come to His feast. When we go out and we give that invitation to others, we do not discriminate. We invite them, come and feast on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that invitation goes today to all of us. Will you come and feast? Will you come and feast on the grace of Christ? Will you come and serve His wide dominion by doing His kingdom work? Will you come and trust in His wisdom Believing that He knows what is best. Will you come resting in His peace as you wait for His kingdom to come? That is salvation. Jesus invites you to come and be fed. Come and find that spiritual food and drink. Come into His kingdom. Come and fall at the feet of King Jesus. And as you do that in faith, as you do that repenting of your sins, He will welcome you into His kingdom. And you will have the bounty of the King. You will understand the wisdom of the King. You will understand the kingdom that King Jesus rules over. And you will be a part of it. And at the last day, and for all eternity, you'll have your own vine and fig tree. And we'll live in peace. May God hasten 
that day and add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of the Lord. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You this morning for Your Word. And as we hear of the wealth and wisdom and kingdom of Solomon, we, we see the wealth and wisdom and, king, and, and kingdom of our King, Jesus. And O oh Lord, You invite all to come. And I pray now for those who, who may need to come, that You would give them the grace and mercy they need to come to the King and to fall at His feet for salvation. Oh Lord, may the rest of us, may we go out, may we advance the kingdom of Christ so that all the ends of the earth will hear of His glory and His fame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.